Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? This evening's story is Parts 4 through 7 of The Hog by William Hope Hodgson. By this time, the shadow had blackened all around us, and I felt that strangely terrible vertigo coming over me again. Jumping to my feet, I caught up Baines in my arms and stepped over the first of the protective circles, the violet, and stood between it and the indigo circle, holding Baines as close to me as possible so as to prevent any portion of his helpless body from protruding outside the indigo and blue circles. From the black, shadowy mouth which now filled the whole of the center of the defense, there came a faint sound. Not near, but seeming to come up at me out of unknown abysses. Very, very faint and lost, it sounded, but I recognized it as unmistakably the infinitely remote murmur of countless swine. And at that same moment, Baines, as if answering the sound, grunted like a swine in my arms. 
There I stood between the glass vacuum tubes of the circles, gazing dazedly into that black, shadowy pit mouth, which seemed to drop sheer into hell from below my left foot. Things had gone so utterly beyond all that I had thought of, and it had all somehow come about so gradually and yet so suddenly that I was really a bit below my natural self. I felt mentally paralyzed and could think of nothing except that not twenty feet away was the door and the outer natural world. In here was I face to face with some unthought of danger and all adrift. What to do to avoid it? You fellows will understand this better when I tell you that the bluish glare from the three circles showed me that there were now hundreds and hundreds of those small, smoke-like puffs of black cloud circling about, round and round, outside the barrier, in an unvarying, unending procession. And all that time I was holding the rigid body of Baines in my arms, trying not to give away to the loathing that got me each time he grunted. Every twenty or thirty seconds, he grunted, as if in answer to the sounds which were almost too faint for my normal hearing. I can tell you, it was like holding something worse than a corpse in my arms, standing there balanced between physical death on the one side and soul destruction on the other. Abruptly, from out of the deep that lay so close that my elbow and shoulder overhung it, there came again a hint, marvelously faint murmur of swine, so utterly far away that the sound was as remote as a lost echo. Baines answered it like a pig-like squeal that set every fiber in me protesting in sheer human revolt, and I sweated coldly from head to foot. Pulling myself together, I tried to pierce down into the mouth of the great shadow, when for a second time... A low peal of thunder sounded in the room, and every joint in my body seemed to jolt and burn. In turning to look down the pit, I had allowed one of Bane's heels to protrude for a moment slightly beyond the blue circle, and a fraction of the tension outside the barrier had evidently discharged through Bane's and me. Had I been standing directly inside the defense instead of being insulated from it by the violet circle then no doubt things might have been much more serious. As it was, I had, physically, that dreadful soiled feeling which the healthy human always experiences when he comes too closely in contact with certain outer monstrosities. Do you fellows remember how I had just the same feeling when the hand came too near me in the gateway case? The physical effects were sufficiently interesting to mention. For Bane's left boot had been ripped open, and the leg of his trousers was charred to the knee, while all around the leg were numbers of bluish marks in the form of irregular spirals. I stood there holding Bane's and shaking from head to foot. My head ached, and each joint had a queer, numbish feeling, but my physical pains were nothing compared with my mental distress. I felt that we were done. I had no room to turn, and... Move for the space between the violet circle, which was the innermost, and the blue circle, which was the outermost of those in use, was 31 inches, including the one inch of the indigo circle. So you see, I was forced to stand there like an image, fearing each moment lest I should get another shock, 
and quite unable to think what to do. I dare say five minutes passed in this fashion. Baines had not grunted once since the tension caught him, and for this I was just simply thankful. Though at first, I must confess, I had feared for a moment that he was dead. No further sounds had come up out of the black mouth to my left, and I grew steady enough to again begin to look about me and think a bit. I leaned again so as to look directly down into the shadowy pit. The edge of the circular mouth was now quite defined, and had a curious solid look, as if it were formed out of some substance like black glass. Below the edge I could trace the appearance of solidity for a considerable distance, though in a vague sort of way. The center of this extraordinary phenomenon was simple and unmitigated blackness, an utter velvety blackness that seemed to soak the very light out of the room down into it. I could see nothing else, and if anything else came out of it except a complete silence, it was the atmosphere of frightening suggestion that was affecting me more and more every minute. I turned away slowly and carefully, so as not to run any risk of allowing either Baines or myself to expose any part of us over the blue circle. Then I saw that things outside of the blue circle had developed considerably, for the odd black puffs of smoke-like cloud had increased enormously and blent into a great gloomy circular wall of tufted cloud going round and round and round eternally and hiding the rest of the room entirely from me. Perhaps a minute passed while I stared at this thing, and then, you know, the room was shaken slightly. This shaking lasted for three or four seconds and then passed, but it came again in about a half minute and was repeated from time to time. There was a queer, oscillating quality in the shaking that made me think suddenly of that Jarvie haunting case. You remember it? There came again the shaking. A ripple of deadly light seemed to play around the outside of the barrier, and then, abruptly, the room was full of a strange roaring, a brutish, enormous yelling, grunting storm of swine sounds. They fell away into a complete silence, and the rigid Baines grunted twice in my arms, as if answering. Then the storm of swine noise came again, beating up in a gigantic riot of brute sound that roared through the room, piping, squealing, grunting, and howling. And as it sank with a steady declination, there came a single gargantuan grunt out of some dreadful throat of monstrousness, and in one beat, the crashing chorus of unknown millions of swine came thundering and raging through the room again. There was more in that sound than mere chaos. There was a mightily devilish rhythm in it. Suddenly, it swept down again into a multitudinous swinish whispering and minor gruntings of unthinkable millions. And then, with a roaring, rolling, deafening bellow of sound, came the single vast grunt, and, as if lifted upon it, the swine roar of the millions of the beasts beat up through the room again, and at every seventh second, as I knew well enough without the need of a watch on my wrist, came the single storm beat of the great grunt out of the throat of unknowable monstrosity, 
and in my arms, Baines, the human, grunted in time to the swine melody, a rigid, grunting monster there in my two arms. I tell you, from head to foot I shook and sweated. I believed I prayed, but if I did, I don't know what I prayed. I have never before felt or endured just what I felt. Standing there in that 31-inch space, with that grunting thing in my arms, and that hell melody beating up out of the great depths. And to my right, tensions that would have torn me into a bundle of blazing, tattered flesh if I had jumped out over the barriers. And then, with an effect like a clap of unexpected thunder, the vast storm of sound ceased, and the room was full of silence and an unimaginable horror. This silence continued. I want to say something which may sound a bit silly, but the silence seemed to trickle round the room. I don't know why I felt like that, but my words give you just what I seem to feel. As I stood there, holding the softly grunting body of Baines, the circular, gloomy wall of dense black cloud enclosed the barrier as completely as ever, and moved round and round and round with a slow eternal movement. And at the back of that black wall of circling cloud, a dead silence went trickling round the room, out of my sight. Do you understand at all? It seemed to show to me very clearly the state of almost insane mental and physical tension I was enduring, the way in which my brain insisted that the silence was trickling round the room interests me enormously, for I was either in a state approximating a phase of madness, or else I was, psychically, tuned to some abnormal pitch of awareness and sensitiveness in which silence had ceased to be an abstract quality and had become to me a definite concrete element much as, to use a stupidly crude illustration, the invisible moisture of the atmosphere becomes a visible and concrete element when it becomes deposited as water. I wonder whether this thought attracts you as it does me. And then, you know, a, a slow awareness grew in me of some further horror to come. This sensation or knowledge or whatever it should be named was so strong that I had a sudden feeling of suffocation. I felt that I could bear no more and that if anything else happened, I should just pull out my revolver and shoot Baines through the head and then myself and so end the whole dreadful business. This feeling, however, soon passed and I felt stronger and more ready to face things again. Also, I had the first, though still indefinite, idea of a way in which to make things a bit safer, but I was too dazed to see how to shape to help myself efficiently. And then a low, far-off warning stole up in the room, and I knew that the danger was coming. I leant slowly to my left, taking care not to let Bane's feet stick over the blue circle, and stared down into the blackness of the pit that dropped sheer into some unknown from under my left elbow. The whining died, but far down in the blackness there was something, just a remote, luminous spot. 
I stood in a grim silence for maybe ten long minutes and looked down at the thing. It was increasing in size all the time and had become much plainer to see, yet it was still lost in the far, tremendous deep. Then, as I stood and looked, the low whining sound crept up to me again, and Baines, who had lain like a log in my arms all the time, answered it with a long, animal-like whine that was somehow newly abominable. A very curious thing happened then, for all around the edge of the pit that looked so peculiarly like black glass, there came a sudden, luminous glowing. It came and went oddly, smoldering queerly round and round the edge, in an opposite direction to the circling of the wall of the black, tufted cloud on the outside of the barrier. This peculiar glowing finally disappeared, and abruptly, out of the tremendous deep. I was conscious of a dreadful quality or atmosphere of monstrousness that was coming out, up out of the pit. If I said there had been a sudden waft of it, this would very well describe the actuality of it, but the spiritual sickness of distress that it caused me to feel, I am simply stumped to explain to you. It was something that made me feel I should be soiled to the very core of me if I did not beat it off from me at my will. I leaned sharply away from the pit toward the outer of the burning circles. I meant to see that no part of my body should overhang the pit whilst that disgusting power was beating up out of the unknown depths. And thus it was, facing so rigidly away from the center of the defense, I saw presently a fresh thing, for there was something, many things, I began to think, on the other side of the gloomy wall that moved everlastingly around the outside of the barrier. The first thing I noticed was a queer disturbance of the ever-clinging cloud wall. This disturbance was within eighteen inches of the floor and directly before me. There was a curious puddling action in the misty wall, as if something were meddling at it. The area of this peculiar little disturbance could not have been more than a foot across, and it did not remain opposite to me, but was taken round by the circling of the wall. When it came past me again, I noticed that it was bulging slightly inwards towards me, and as it moved away from me once more, I saw another similar disturbance, then a third, and a fourth, all in different parts of the slowly whirling black wall, and all of them were no more than about eighteen inches from the floor. When the first one came opposite me again, I saw that the slight bulge had grown into a very distinct protuberance towards me. All around the moving wall there had now come these curious swellings, they continued to reach inward and to elongate, and all the time they kept in a constant movement. Suddenly one of them broke, or opened, at the apex, and there protruded through, for an instant, the tip of a pallid but unmistakable snout. It was gone at once, but I had seen the thing distinctly, and within a minute I saw another one poke suddenly through the wall to my right and withdraw as quickly. I could not look at the base of the strange black circling movement about the barrier without seeing a swinish snout peep through momentarily in this place or that. I stared at these things in a very peculiar state of mind, 
There was so great a weight of the abnormal about me, before and behind in every way, that to a certain extent it bred in me a sort of anecdote to fear. Can you understand? It produced in me a temporary dazedness in which things and the horror of things became less real. I stared at them as a child stares out from a fast train at a quickly passing night landscape, oddly hit by the furnaces of unknown industries. I want you to try to understand. In my arms, Baines lay quiet and rigid, and my arms and back ached until I was one dull ache in all my body. But I was only partly conscious of this when I aroused momentarily from my psychic to my physical awareness to shift him to another position, less intolerable temporarily to my tired arms and back. There was suddenly a fresh thing, a low but enormous solitary grunt came rolling vast and brutal into the room. It made the still body of Baines quiver against me and he grunted thrice in return and with the voice of a young pig. High up in the moving wall of the barrier, I saw a fluffing out of the black tufted clouds and a pig's hoof and leg as far as the knuckle came through and pawed a moment. This was about nine or ten feet above the floor. As it gradually disappeared, I heard a low grunting from the other side of the veil of clouds, which broke out suddenly into a diaphion of brute sound, grunting, squealing, and swine howling, all formed into a sound that was the essential melody of the brute, a grunting, squealing, howling roar that roared and rose and roared, howl by howl, and squeal by squeal to a crescendo of horrors. The bestial growths, longing, zest in acts of some grotto of hell. It is of no use. I can't give it to you. I get dumb with the failure of my command over speech to tell you what that grunting, howling, roaring medley conveyed to me. It had in it something so inexplicably below the horizons of the soul in its monstrousness and fearfulness that the ordinary simple fear of death itself, with all its attendant agonies and terrors and sorrows, seemed like a thought of something peaceful and infinitely holy compared with the fear of those unknown elements in that dreadful roaring melody. And the sound was with me inside the room, right there in the room with me. Yet I seemed not to be aware of confining walls but of echoing spaces of gargantuan corridors. Curious. I had in my mind those two words, gargantuan corridors. As the rolling chaos of swine melody beat itself away on every side, there came booming through it a single grunt, the single recurring grunt of the hog. For I knew now that I was actually, and without any doubt, hearing the beat of monstrosity. The hog. In the Sigsund, the thing is described something like this. Ye hog, which ye almighty alone hath power upon, if in sleep or in ye hour of danger ye hear the voice of ye hog, cease ye to meddle, for ye hog doth be of ye outer monstrous one. 
nor shall any human come nigh him, nor continue meddling when ye hear his voice. For in ye earlier life upon the world did the hog have power, and shall again in ye end. And in that ye hog had once a power upon ye earth, so doth he crave sore to come again. And dreadful shall be ye harm to ye soul if ye continue to meddle, and to let ye beast come nigh. And I say unto all, if ye have brought this dire danger upon ye, the memory of ye cross for all of sign hath ye hog a whore. There's a lot more, but I can't remember it all, and that's about the substance of it. There was I, holding Baines, who was all the time howling that dreadful grunt out with the voice of a swine. I wonder I didn't go mad. It was, I believe, the antidote of dazedness produced by the strain which helped me through each moment. A minute later, or perhaps five minutes, I had a sudden new sensation, like a warning cutting through my dulled feelings. I turned my head, but there was nothing behind me, and bending over to my left, I seemed to be looking down into that black depth, which fell away sheer under my left elbow. At that moment the roaring bellow of swine noise ceased, and I seemed to be staring down into the miles of black ether at something that hung there, a pallid face floating far down and remote, a great swine face. As I gazed, I saw it grow bigger, a seemingly motionless, pallid swine face rising upward out of the depth. And suddenly I realized that I was actually looking at the hog. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. For perhaps a full minute, I stared down through the darkness at that thing swimming like some far-off dead white planet in the stupendous void. And then I simply woke up, bang, as you might say, to the possession of my faculties, for just a certain over-degree of strain had brought about a dumbly helpful anesthesia of dazedness, so this sudden overwhelming supreme fact of horror produced, in turn, its reaction to inertness, to action. I passed in one moment from listlessness to a fierce efficiency. I knew that I had, through some accident, penetrated beyond all previous bounds and that I stood where no human soul had any right to be, and that in but a few of the puny minutes of Earth's time I might be dead. 
Whether Baines had passed beyond the lines of retraction or not, I could not tell. I put him down carefully but quickly on his side between the inner circles, that is, the violet circle and the indigo circle, where he lay grunting slowly. Feeling that the dreadful moment had come, I drew out my automatic. It seemed best to make sure of our end before that thing in the depth came any nearer, for once Baines in his present condition came within what I might term the inductive forces of the monster, he would cease to be human. There would happen, as in that case of Aster, who stayed outside the pentacles of the Black Veil case, what can only be described as a pathological spiritual change. Literally, in other words, soul destruction. And then, something seemed to be telling me not to shoot. This sounds perhaps a bit superstitious, but I meant to kill Baines in that moment, and what stopped me was a distant message from the outside. I tell you, it sent a great thrill of hope through me, for I knew that the forces which govern the spinning of the outer circle were intervening. But the very fact of the intervention proved to me afresh the enormous spiritual peril into which we had stumbled, for that inscrutable protective force only intervenes between the human soul and the outer monstrosities. The moment I received that message, I stood up like a flash and turned toward the pit, stepping over the violent circle slap into the harsh mouth of darkness. I had to take the risk in order to get at the switchboard which lay on the glass shelf under the tabletop in the center. I could not shake free from the horror of the idea that I might fall down through that awful blackness. The floor felt solid enough under me, but I seemed to be walking on nothing above a black void, like an inverted starless night with the face of the approaching hog facing up from far down under my feet. A silent, incredible thing out of the abyss. A pallid, floating swine face, framed in enormous blackness. Two quick, nervous strides took me to the table standing there in the center, with its glass legs apparently resting on nothing. I grabbed out the switchboard, sliding out the vulcanite plate, which carried the switch control of the blue circle. The battery which fed this circle was the right-hand one of the row of seven, and each battery was marked with the letter of its circle painted on it, so that in an emergency I could select any particular battery in a moment. As I snatched up the B-switch, I had a grim enough warning of the unknown dangers that I was risking in that short journey of two steps, for that dreadful sense of vertigo returned suddenly, and for one horrible moment I saw everything through a blurred medium as if I were trying to look through water. Below me, far away, down beneath my feet, I could see the hog, which, in some peculiar way, looked different, dearer, and much nearer, and enormous. I felt it had got nearer to me all in that moment, and suddenly I had the impression I was descending bodily. I had a sense of a tremendous force being used to push me over the side of that pit, but with every shred of willpower I had in me, I hurled myself into the smoky appearance that hid everything and reached the violet circle where Baines lay in front of me. Here I crouched down on my heels and with my two arms out before me, I slipped the nails of each forefinger under the vulcanite base of the blue circle, which I lifted very gently so that when the base was far enough from the floor, 
I could push the tips of my fingers underneath. I took care to keep from reaching further under the inner edge of the glowing tube, which rested on the two-inch broad foundation of vulcanite. Very slowly I stood upright, lifting the side of the blue circle with me. My feet were beneath the indigo and the violet circles, and only the blue circle between me and sudden death. For if it had snapped with the uncertain strain I was putting upon it, by lifting it like that, I knew that I should, in all probability, go west pretty quickly. So you fellows can imagine what I felt like. I was conscious of a disagreeable faint prickling that was strongest in the tips of my fingers and wrists, and the blue circle seemed to vibrate strangely as if minute particles of something were impinging upon it in countless millions. Along the shining glass tubes, for a couple of feet on each side of my hands, a queer haze of tiny sparks boiled and whirled in the form of an extraordinary halo. Stepping forward over the indigo circle, I pushed the blue circle out against the slowly moving wall of black cloud, causing a ripple of tiny pale flashes to curl in over the circle. These flashes ran along the vacuum tube until they came to the place where the blue circle crossed the indigo, and there they flicked off into space with sharp cracks of sound. As I advanced slowly and carefully with the blue circle, a most extraordinary thing happened, for the moving wall of cloud gave from it in a great belly of shadow and appeared to thin away from before it. Lowering my edge of the circle to the floor, I stepped over Baines and right into the mouth of the pit, lifting the other side of the circle over the table. It creaked as if it were about to break in half as I lifted it, but eventually it came over safely. When I looked again into the depth of that shadow, I saw below me the dreadful pallid head of the hog floating in a circle of night. It struck me that it glowed very slightly, just a vague luminosity, and quite near comparatively. No one could have judged distance in that black void. Picking up the edge of the blue circle again, as I had done before, I took it out further till it was half clear of the indigo circle. Then I picked up Baines and carried him to that portion of the floor, guarded by the part of the blue circle which was clear of the defense. Then I lifted the circle and started to move it forward as quickly as I dared, shivering each time the joint squeaked as the whole fabric of it groaned with the strain I was putting it upon. And all the time the moving wall of tufted clouds gave from the edge of the blue circle, bellying away from it in a marvelous fashion as if blown by an unheard wind. From time to time little flashes of light had begun to flick in over the blue circle, and I began to wonder whether it would be able to hold out the tension until I had dragged it clear of the defense. Once it was clear, I hoped the abnormal stress would cease from about us and concentrate chiefly around the defense again and the attractions of the negative tension. Just then, I heard a sharp tap behind me, and the blue circle jarred somewhat, having now ridden completely over the violet and indigo circles and dropped clear onto the floor. The same instant there came a low, rolling noise of thunder and a curious roaring. The black, circling wall had thinned away from around us and the room showed more clearly once again. Yet nothing was to be seen except that now and then 
A peculiar bluish flicker of light would ripple across the floor. Turning to look at the defenses, I noticed it was surrounded by the circling wall of black cloud and looked strangely extraordinary seen from the outside. It resembled a slightly swaying squat funnel of whirling black mist reaching from the floor to the ceiling, and through it I could see glowing, sometimes vague and sometimes plain, the indigo and violet circles. And then, as I watched, the whole room seemed suddenly filled with an awful presence which pressed upon me with a weight of horror that was the very essence of spiritual deathliness. Kneeling there in the blue circle by Baines, my initiative faculties stupefied and temporarily paralyzed, I could form no further plan of escape, and indeed I seemed to care for nothing at the moment. I felt I had already escaped from immediate destruction, and I was strung up to an amazing pitch of indifference to any minor horrors. Baines, all this while, had been quietly lying on his side. I rolled him over and looked closely at his eyes, taking care on account of his condition not to gaze into them, for if he had passed beyond the line of retraction, he would be dangerous. I mean, if the wandering part of his essence had been assimilated by the hog, then Baines would be spiritually accessible and might even be then no more than the outer form of the man, charged with radiation of the monstrous ego of the hog and therefore capable of what I might term, for want of a more exact phrase, a psychically ineffective force, such force being more readily transmitted through the eyes than any other way, and capable of producing a brainstorm of an extremely dangerous character. I found Baines, however, with both eyes, with an extraordinary distressed interned quality. Not the eyeballs, remember but a reflex action transmitted from the mental eye to the physical eye, and giving to the physical eye an expression of thought instead of sight. I wonder whether I make this clear to you. Abruptly, from every part of the room, there broke out the noise of those hoofs again, making the place echo with the sound as if a thousand swine had started suddenly from an absolute immobility into a mad charge. The whole riot of animal sound seemed to heave itself in one wave toward the oddly swaying and circling funnel of black cloud which rose from floor to ceiling around the violet and indiglu circles. As the sound ceased, I saw something was rising up through the middle of the defense. It rose with a slow, steady movement. I saw it, pale and huge, through the swaying, whirling funnel of cloud, a monstrous pallid snout rising out of that unknowable abyss. It rose higher like a huge, pale mound. Through a thinning of the cloud curtain I saw one small eye. I shall never see a pig's eye again without feeling something of what I felt then. A pig's eye with a sort of hell light of vile understanding shining at the back of it. And then suddenly a dreadful terror came over me for I saw the beginning of the end that I had been dreading all along. I saw through the slow whirl of the cloud curtains that the violet circle had begun to leave the floor. It was being taken up on the spread of the vast snout. The straining 
and my eyes to see through the swaying funnel of clouds, I saw that the violet circle had melted and was running down the pale sides of the snout in streams of violet-colored fire. And as it melted, there came a change in the atmosphere of the room. The black funnel shone with a dull, gloomy red, and a heavy red glow filled the room. The change was such as one might experience if one had been looking through a protective glass at some light, and the glass had been suddenly removed. But there was a further change that I realized directly through my feelings. It was as if the horrible presence in the room had come closer to my own soul. I wonder if I'm making it all clear to you. Before, it had oppressed me somewhat as a death on a very gloomy and dreary day beats down upon one's spirit. But now there was a savage menace and the actual feeling of a foul thing close up against me. It was horrible. Simply horrible. And then Baines moved. For the first time since he went to sleep, the rigidity went out of him. And rolling suddenly over onto his stomach, he fumbled up in a curious animal-like fashion onto his hands and feet. Then he charged straight across the blue circle towards the thing in the defense. With a shriek, I jumped to pull him back, but it was not my voice that stopped him. It was the blue circle. It made him give back from it as though some invisible hand had jerked him backwards. He threw up his head like a hog, squealing with the voice of a swine, and started off round inside of the blue circle. Round and round it went, twice attempting to bolt across it, to the horror in that swaying funnel of cloud. Each time he was thrown back, and each time he squealed like a great swine, the sounds echoing from the room in a horrible fashion, as though they came from somewhere a long way off. By this time I was fairly sure that Baines had indeed passed the line of retraction, and the knowledge brought a fresh and more hopeless horror and pity to me, and a grimmer fear for myself. I knew that, if it were so, it was not Baines I had with me in the circle, but a monster, and that for my own last chance of safety, I should have to get him outside of the circle. He had ceased his tireless running round and round, and now lay on his side, grunting continually and softly, in a dismal kind of way. As the slow, whirling sounds thinned a little, I saw again that a pallid face with some clearness. It was still rising, but slowly, very slowly. And again a hope grew in me that it might be checked by the defense. Quite plainly I saw that the horror was looking at Baines, and at that moment I saved my own life and soul by looking down. There, close to me, on the floor, was a thing that looked like Baines, its hand stretched out to grip my ankles. Another second, and I should have been tripped outwards. Do you realize what that would have meant? It was no time to hesitate. I simply jumped and came down crash on my knees on top of Baines. He lay there, quiet enough for a short struggle. But I took to my braces and lashed his hands behind him, and I shivered with the very touch of him as though I was touching something monstrous. By the time I had finished, I noticed that the reddish glow in the room had deepened quite considerably, and the whole room was darker. 
The destruction of the violet circle had reduced the light perceptibly, but the darkness that I am speaking of was something more than that. It seemed as if something now had come into the atmosphere of the room, a sort of gloom, and in spite of the shining of the blue circle and the indigo circle inside the funnel of cloud, there was now more red light than anything else. Opposite me, the huge, cloud-shrouded monster in the indigo circle appeared to be motionless. I could see its outline vaguely all the time, and only when the cloud funnel thinned could I see it plainly. A vast, snouted mound, faintly and whitely luminous, one gargantuan side turned towards me, and near the base of the slope, a minute slit out of which shone one whitish eye. Presently, through the thin, gloomy red vapor, I saw something that killed the hope in me and gave me a horrible despair, for the indigo circle, the final barrier of the defense, was being slowly lifted into the air. The hog had begun to rise higher. I could see its dreadful snout rising upwards out of the cloud. Slowly, very slowly, the snout rose up and the indigo circle went up with it. In the dead stillness of that room, I got a strange sense that all eternity was tense and utterly still, as if certain powers knew of this horror I had brought into the world. And then I had an awareness of something coming, something from far, far away. It was as if some hidden, unknown part of my brain knew it. Can you understand? There was something in the heights of space, a light that was coming near, it seemed to hear it coming. It, I, I could just see the body of Baines on the floor, huddled and shapeless and inert. Within the swaying veil of cloud, the monster showed as a vast, pale, faintly luminous mount, hugely snouted, an infern hillock of monstrosity, pallid and deadly amid the redness that hung in the atmosphere of the room. Something told me that it was making a final effort against the help, was coming. I saw the indigo circle was now some inches from the floor, and every moment I expected to see it flash into streams of indigo fire, burning down the pale slopes of the snout. I could see the circle beginning to move upward at a perceptible speed. The monster was triumphing. Out in some realm of space a low, continuous thunder sounded. The thing in the great heights was coming fast, but it could never come in time. The thunder grew from a low, far mutter into a deep, steady rolling of sound. It grew louder and louder, and as it grew I saw the indigo circle now shining through the red gloom of the room was a whole foot off the floor. I thought I saw a faint splutter of indigo light. The final circle of the barrier was beginning to melt. That instant, the thunder of the thing in flight, which my brain heard so plainly, rose into a crashing, world-shaking bellow of speed, making the room rock and vibrate to an immensity of sound. A strange flash of blue flame ripped open the funnel of cloud momentarily from top to base, and I saw, for one brief instant, the pallid monstrosity of the hog, stark and pale and dreadful. Then the sides of the funnel joined again hiding the thing from me as the funnel became submerged quickly into a dome of silent blue light, God's own color. All at once it seemed the cloud had gone, and from floor to ceiling of the room, in awful majesty, 
Like a living presence, there appeared that dorm of blue fire banded with three rings of green light at equal distances. There was no sound or movement, not even a flicker, nor could I see anything in the light, for looking into it was like looking into the cold blue of the skies. But I felt sure that there had come to our aid one of those inscrutable forces which governed the spinning of the outer circle, for the dome of blue light banded with three green bands of silent fire was the outward or visible sign of an enormous force undoubtedly of a destructive nature. Through ten minutes of absolute silence, I stood there in the blue circle watching the phenomenon. Minute by minute, I saw the heavy, repellent red driven out of the room as the place lightened quite noticeably. As it lightened, the body of Baines began to resolve out of a shapeless length of shadow, detail by detail until I could see the braces with which I had lashed his wrist together. And as I looked at him, his body moved slightly, and in a weak but perfectly sane voice, he said, I've had it again. My God, I've had it again. I knelt down quickly by his side and loosened the braces from his wrists, helping to turn over and sit up. He gripped my arm a little crazily with both hands. I went to sleep after all, he said, and I've been down there again. My God, it nearly had me. I was down in that awful place, and it seemed to be just round a great corner, and I was stopped from coming back. I seemed to have been fighting for ages and ages. I felt I was going mad, mad. I've been down, nearly down into a hell. I could hear you calling down to me from some awful height. I could hear your voice echoing along yellow passages. They were yellow. I knew they were. And I tried to come, and I couldn't. Did you see me? I asked him when he stopped, gasping. No, he answered, leaning his head against my shoulder. I tell you, it nearly got me that time. I shall never dare to go to sleep again as long as I live. Why didn't you wake me? I did, I told him. I had you in my arms most of the time. You kept looking up into my eyes as if you knew I was there. I know, he said. I remember now, but you seem to be up at the top of a frightful hole, miles and miles up from me. And those horrors were grunting and squealing and howling and trying to catch me and keep me down there. But I couldn't see anything, only the yellow walls of those passages. And all the time there was something around the corner. Well, anyway, you're safe enough now, I told him. And I'll guarantee you, you shall be safe in the future. The room had grown dark, save for the light from the blue circle. The dome had disappeared. The whirling funnel of black cloud had gone. The hog had gone. And the light had died out of the indigo circle. And the atmosphere of the room was safe and normal again, as I proved by moving the switch, which was near me, so as to lessen the defensive power of the blue circle and enable me to feel the outside tension. Then I turned to Baines. Come along, I said. We'll go and get something to eat and have a rest. But Baines was already sleeping like a tired child, his head pillowed on his hand. Poor little devil, I said as I picked him up in my arms. Poor little devil. 
I walked across to the main switchboard and threw over the current so as to throw the V protective pulse out of the four walls and the door. Then I carried Baines out into the sweet, wholesome normality of everything. It seemed wonderful coming out of that chamber of horrors. And it seemed wonderful still to see my bedroom door opposite and wide open, with the bed looking so soft and white as usual, so ordinary and human. Can you chaps understand? I carried Baines into the room and put him on the couch, and then it was I realized how much I'd been up against. For when I was getting myself a drink, I dropped the bottle and had to get another. After I had made Baines drink a glass, I laid him on the bed. Now, I said, look into my eyes fixedly. Do you hear me? You are going off to sleep safely and soundly. And if anything troubles you, obey me and wake up. Now, sleep. 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 I swept my hands down over his eyes half a dozen times, and he fell over like a child. I knew that if the danger came again, he would obey my will and wake up. I intend to cure him, partly by hypnotic suggestion, partly by a certain electrical treatment which I am getting Dr. Witten to give him. That night I slept on the couch, and when I went to look at Baines in the morning, I found him still sleeping. So, leaving him there, I went into the test room to examine results. I found them very surprising. Inside the room, I had a queer feeling, as you can imagine. It was extraordinary to stand there in that curious bluish light from the treated windows and see the blue circle lying, still glowing, where I had left it, and further on, the defense lying circle within circle, all out in, in the center of the glass-legged table standing there, where a few hours before it had been submerged in the horrible monstrosity of the hog. I tell you, it all seemed like a wild and horrible dream as I stood there and looked. I have carried out some curious tests in there before now, as you know, but I've never come nearer to a catastrophe. I left the door open so as to not feel shut in, and then I walked over to the defense. I was intensely curious to see what had happened physically under the action of such a force as the hog. I found unmistakable signs that proved the thing had been indeed a Seachi manifestation, for there had been no psychic or physical illusion about the melting of the violet circle. There remained nothing of it except a ring of patches of melted glass. The Gouda base had been fused entirely, but the floor and everything was intact. You see, the Seachi forms can often attack and destroy even make use of the very defense material used against them. Stepping over the outer circles and looking closely at the indigo circle, I saw that it was melted clean through in several places. Another fraction of time in the hog would have been free to expand as an invisible mist of horror and destruction into the atmosphere of the world. And then, in that very moment of time, salvation had come. I wonder if you can get my feelings as I stood there, staring down at the destroyed barrier. Karnaki began to knock out his pipe, which is always a sign that he has ended his tale, and is ready to answer any questions we may want to ask. Taylor was first in. Why didn't you use the electric pentacle, as well as your new spectrum circles, he asked. Because, 
replied Karnaki. The pentacle is simply defensive, and I wish to have the power to make a focus during the early part of the experiment, and then at the critical moment to change the combination of the colors so as to have a defense against the results of the focus. You follow me? You see, he went on, seeing we hadn't grasped his meaning, there can be no focus within a pentacle. It is just a defensive nature. Even if I had switched the current out of the electrical pentacle, I should still have to contend with the peculiar and undoubtedly defensive power that it form seems to exert, and this would have been sufficient to blur the focus. In his new uh, research work I'm doing, I'm bound to use a focus, and so the pentacle is barred, but I'm not sure it matters. I'm convinced this new spectrum defense of mine will prove absolutely invulnerable when I've learned how to use it, but it will take me some time. This last case has taught me something new. I had never thought of combining green with blue, but the three bands of green and the blue of that dome has me... has set me thinking. If only I knew the right combinations. It's the combinations I've got to learn. You'll understand better the importance of these combinations when I remind you that green by itself is a very limited way, more deadly than red itself. And red is the danger color of all. Tell us, Karnecki, I said, what is the hog? Can you? I mean, what kind of monstrosity is it? Did you really see it, or was it all some horrible, dangerous kind of dream? How do you know it was one of the outer monsters? And what is the difference between that sort of danger and the sort of thing you saw in the gateway of the monster case? And what... <laughs> Steady, laughed Karnacki, one at a time. I'll answer all your questions, but I don't think I'll take them quite in your order. For instance, speaking about actually seeing the hog, I might say that, speaking generally, things seen as a ghostly nature are not seen with the eyes, they are seen with the mental eye, which has this psychic quality, not always developed to a usable state, in addition to its normal duty of revealing to the brain what our physical eyes record. You will understand that when we see ghostly things, it is often the mental eye performing simultaneously the duty of revealing to the brain what the physical eye sees, as well as what it sees itself. The two sights blending their functions in such a fashion gives us the impression that we are actually seeing through our physical eyes the whole of the sight that is being revealed to the brain. In this way, we get an impression of seeing with our physical eyes both the material and the immaterial parts of an abnormal scene. For each part being received and revealed to the brain by machinery suitable to the particular purpose, appears to have equal value of reality that is, it appears to be equally material. You follow me? We nodded our assent, and Karnaki continued. In the same way, we're everything to threaten our physical body. We should have the impression, generally speaking, that it was our physical body that had been threatened because our psychic sensations and impressions would be superimposed upon our physical, in the same way that our psychic and our physical sight are superimposed. Our sensations would blend in such a way that it would be impossible 
to differentiate between what we felt physically and what we felt psychically. To explain better what I mean, a man may seem to himself in a ghostly adventure to fall actually, that is, to be falling in a physical sense, but all the while it may be his psychic entity or being, call it what you will, that is falling. But to his brain there is presented the sensation of falling altogether. Do you get me? At the same time, please remember that the danger is nonetheless because it is his psychic body that falls. I'm referring to the sensation I had of falling during the time of stepping across the mouth of that pit. My physical body could walk over it easily and feel the floor solid under me, but my psychic body was in very real danger of falling. Indeed, I may be said to have literally carried my psychic body over it, held within me by the pull of my life force. You see, to my psychic body, the pit was as real and as actual as a coal pit would have been to my physical body. It was merely the pull of my life force which prevented my psychic body from falling out of me, rather like a plummet, down through the everlasting depths in obedience to the giant pull of the monster. As you all remember, the pull of the hog was too great for my life force to withstand, and psychically I began to fall. Immediately, on my brain was recorded a sensation identical with that which would have been recorded on it had my actual physical body been falling. It was a mad risk I took, but as you know, I had to take it to get to the switch in the battery. When I had that physical sense of falling and seemed to see the black, misty sides of the pit all around me, it was my mental eye recording upon the brain what I was seeing. My psychic body had actually begun to fall, and was really below the edge of the pit, but still in contact with me. In other words, my physical, magnetic, and psychic halos were still mingled. My physical body was still standing firmly upon the floor of the room, but if I had not, each time, by effort or will, forced my physical body across to the side, my psychic body would have fallen completely out of contact with me, and gone like some ghostly meteorite, obedient to the pull of the hog. The curious sensation I had of forcing myself through an obstructing medium was not a physical sensation at all, as we understand that word, but rather the psychic sensation of forcing my entity to recross the gap that had already formed between my falling psychic body, now below the edge of the pit, and my physical body standing on the floor of the room. And that gap was full of a force that strove to prevent my body and soul from rejoining. It was a terrible experience. Do you remember how I could still see with my brain through the eyes of my psychic body, though it had already fallen some distance out of me? That is an extraordinary thing to remember. However, to get ahead, all ghostly phenomena are extremely diffuse in a normal state. They become actively physically dangerous in all cases where they are concentrated. The best offhand illustration I can think of is the all-familiar electricity, a force which, by the way, we are too prone to imagine we understand because we've named it and harnessed it to use a popular phrase. But we don't understand it at all. It is still a complete fundamental mystery. Well, electricity, when diffuse, is an imagined, 
an unpictured something, but when concentrated in it is sudden death. Have you got me in that? Take, for instance, that explanation as a very, very crude sort of illustration of what the hog is. The hog is one of those million-mile-long clouds of nebulosity lying in the outer circle. It is because of this that I term those clouds of force the outer monsters. What they are exactly is a tremendous question to answer. I sometimes wonder whether Dodgson there realizes just how impossible it is to answer some of his questions. And Karnacki laughed. <laughs> but to make a brief attempt at it, there is around this planet, and presumably others, of course, circles of what I might call emanations. This is an extremely light gas, or shall I say aether. Poor aether, it's been hard work in its time. Go back one moment to your school days, and bear in mind that at one time the Earth was just a sphere of extremely hot gases. These gases condensed in the form of materials and other solid matters, but there are some that are not yet solidified. Air, for instance. Well, we have an Earth sphere of solid matter on which to stamp as solidly as we like, and round about that sphere there lies a ring of gases, the constituents of which enter largely into all life as we understand life, that is, air. But this is not the only circle of gas which is floating around us. There are, as I've been forced to conclude, larger and more attenuated gas belts, lying zone on zone far up and around us. These compose what I have called the inner circles. They are surrounded, in turn, by a circle or belt of what I have called, for want of a better word, emanations. This circle, which I have named the outer circle, cannot lie less than a hundred thousand miles off the earth, and has a thickness which I have presumed to be anything between five and ten million miles. I believe, but I cannot prove, that it does not spin with the earth, but in the opposite direction, for which a plausible cause might be found in the study of the theory upon which a certain electrical machine is constructed. I have reason to believe that the spinning of this, the outer circle, is distributed from time to time through the causes which are quite unknown to me, but which I believe are based in physical phenomena. Now, the outer circle is the psychic circle, yet it also is physical. To illustrate what I mean, I must gain instance electricity, and say that just as electricity discovered itself to us as something quite different from any of our previous conceptions of matter, so is the psychic or outer circle different from any of our previous conceptions of matter. Yet, it is nonetheless physical in its origin, and in the sense that electricity is physical, the outer or psychic circle is physical in its constituents. Speaking pictorially, it is physically to the inner circle what the inner circle is to the upper strata of the air, and what the air, as we know, that intimate gas, is to the waters, and the waters to the solid world. You get my line of suggestion. We all nodded, and Karnacki resumed. Well, now let me apply all this to what I'm leading up to. 
I suggest that these million-mile-long clouds of monstrosity with float in the psychic or outer circle are bred of the elements of that circle. They are tremendous psychic forces, bred out of its elements just as an octopus or shark is bred out of the sea, or a tiger or any other physical force is bred out of the elements of its earth and air surroundings. To go further, a physical man is composed entirely from the constituents of earth and air, by which terms I include sunlight and water and condiments. In other words, without earth and air, he could not be. Or, to put it another way, earth and air breed within themselves the materials of the body and the brain, and therefore, presumably, the machine of intelligence. Now, apply this line of thought to the psychic or outer circle, which through so attenuated that I may crudely presume it to be approximate to our conception of ether, yet contains all the elements for the production of certain faces of force and intelligence. But these elements are in a form as little like matter as the emanations of scent are like the scent itself. Equally, the force and intelligence-producing capacity of the outer circle no more approximates to the life and intelligence-producing capacity of the earth and air than the results of the outer circle constituents resemble the results of earth and air. I wonder whether I make it clear. And so it seems to me we have the conception of a huge psychic world bred out of the physical lying far outside of this world and completely encompassing it, except for the doorways about which I hope to tell you some other evening. This enormous psychic world of the outer circle breeds, if I may use the term, its own psychic forces and intelligences, monstrous and otherwise, just as this world produces its own physical forces and intelligences, beings, animals, insects, etc., monstrous and otherwise. The monstrosities of the outer circle are malignant toward all that we consider most desirable, just in the same way a shark or a tiger may be considered malignant in a physical way to all that we consider desirable. They are predatory, as all positive force is predatory. They have desires regarding us which are incredibly more dreadful to our minds when comprehended than an intelligent sheep would consider our desires towards its own carcass. They plunder and destroy to satisfy lusts and hungers exactly as other forms of existence plunder and destroy to satisfy their lusts and hungers. And the desire of these monsters is chiefly, if not always, for the psychic entity of the human but that's as much as I can tell you tonight. Some evening I may want to tell you about the tremendous mystery of the psychic doorways. In the meantime, have I made things a bit clearer to you, Dodgson? Eh, yes and no, I answered. You've been a break to make the attempt, but there are still about 10,000 other things I want to know. Karnaki stood up. Out you go, he said, using the recognized formula in friendly fashion. Out you go, I want to sleep. And shaking him by the hand, we strolled out onto the quiet embankment.
thanks for joining me this week for tonight's regularly scheduled Tales of Terror. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Tonight's program has been brought to you by Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly, your host, Otis Jiry. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com for your chance to have me bring your sinister story to life. If you enjoyed what you heard and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment for your chance to be entered into a weekly prize drawing. Your feedback means a lot to us. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more and haven't already... Be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for more than 500 free audio horror stories or the Otis Jiry channel, my own digital home away from home, where you'll find dozens of previously released horror and sci-fi stories from yours truly. If you'd like to connect with or support me and CTFDN, visit the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights Facebook page or at their website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com where you can support our programs by becoming a patron and get access to hundreds of stories all ad-free. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with another pair of terrifying tales that'll keep you up all night. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.